Welcome to Ruby Rogues. I'm your temporary host, David Brady. Chuck Wood is out for the moment. Uh, today's panel, we have uh, Peter Cooper, who says he is ideally the editor of Ruby Inside and Ruby Weekly and the author of Beginning Ruby. Uh, we've got Marty Hot, who is from Hot Codeworks. Uh, he's also in the Boulder Ruby Users Group, the Mountain RB. Marty, did you say you're one of the organizers of Mountain RB? I am. Awesome. We've got Mike Moore, who is uh, some idiot from Utah. Um, I'm allowed to say that because I had lunch with him recently, and we hang out and stuff. No, Mike is uh, Mike is one of the most awesome Rubyists in the state of Utah. He organizes the Mountain West Ruby Conf, and he is also the organizer of the Utah Valley Ruby Users Group. And so I see him at least once a year at that conference, and about once a month at uh, the meetups, and then about once a week when we get together at hack. So. Um, oh yeah, and then James Edward Gray, who is, uh, well, I'm not as good at this as Chuck is. He's uh, with Gray Productions. He also organizes uh, the OKRB. No, wait, James, do you run the, the, the users group as well? I do. I will be doing that the second I hang up on this call. Fantastic. So we'll have to hurry, guys. Uh, and James is also the organizer of Red Dirt Ruby Comp. And I'm your host, David Brady, and I do not organize any conferences, and I do not run any Ruby users groups, so I'm not really sure why I'm here. I'm not even recording the call today because my computer sucks, so Mike is actually stepping in to save the day. So. But you are another idiot from Utah. I am another idiot from Utah, which is means this call, this uh, tonight's Ruby Rogues has 100% more idiots from Utah than you are you. Oh, wait, 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 no, no, no. We are maintaining parity because Chuck is from Utah. So we have lost Chuck, but uh, balance was restored. That's right. Conservation of, Utah, of idiots from Utah has been maintained. Utah Posse. I'd like to think that my level of idiocy can even surpass Chuck, though. Uh, I'm hopeful that we're, we're going to represent Utah even more. I, you know, if you throw softballs like that right over the plate, I... No, this early in the podcast, I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going <laughs> to Today we're talking about users, groups, and conferences. Um, and seeing as I don't do either of those, I just attend them, um, I'll just be your fanboy. So who wants to kick us off talking about how you, how you organize your conferences? How about we just go around the horn, talk about what you attend or what you host and how you think they are, are not important. How's that? That sounds awesome. Uh, do you want to start, James? Sure. So I've run the Oklahoma Ruby Users Group for many years. Um, I do that. And then the last two years, I did the uh, Red Dirt Ruby Conf. I was an organizer of that. Um, so those are, those are my uh, involvements in that conversation. To me, they're super important. Like um, I always feel like when I meet people, and they say they're Rubyists, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, do you go to the user groups or the conferences or things like that? And they say no. I always feel like, oh, you're missing it. You don't get it yet. You know, or or that that it's such an important part of our community. That you know, we're so good at doing the community interactions and learning from each other and stuff like that. That I worry that people that aren't taking advantage of that are missing a major piece of our community. So that's why it's very interesting to me, and that's why I love uh, running these grouping conferences. All right, so uh, I've been doing Mountain West Ruby Conference uh, for the past five years. We're the one of the first regional conferences, and I think the oldest continuing to run conference. Um, and then before that, I started the Boise Ruby Brigade, and I'm also involved in the in the uh, Utah Users Group as well. I, I think. One of the things that I like the most about the whole conference scene is the the reach that it has. That I think I think is unseen. Um, one of the things that we did early on was we decided that we wanted to record and distribute the conference proceedings, put up on the internet, and let people see it and learn from it. And that was one of the things that when I started going to Ruby conferences, that I really appreciated the um, the times when things were recorded and as a you know, a, someone new to Ruby, I could go back and kind of go at my own pace. But um, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is that there are so many conferences that are putting their proceedings online, either streaming it live or putting it, you know, to download afterwards on Confreaks or the other sites. And there are, is a huge 
group of people around the world that are pulling down this content and learning from it. And that's the thing that I think I'm the most proud of, you know, because there, there are so many uh, regional conferences going out today, but the uh, the very, very far reach that they have um, that is kind of unseen is just one of the things that I, I like the most about it. The other thing I wanted to add, too, is I'm a big fan of the podcast, and uh, I don't drink, but I went out and I got myself a uh, Bundaberg root beer, which is an Australian root beer. So I'm going to pop that open and enjoy one during this. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. Marty, uh, what conferences do you do and which do you, t- do you attend and why? Okay. Well, in terms of conferences, I, um, I'm a bit of a conference junkie, although my wife is not a big fan of that. Uh, I, I organized Mountain RB for last year, which is now called Rocky Mountain Ruby, um, which will be in um, August and September in uh, Boulder this year. And I've done a lot of conferences. I went to uh, went to RubyConf when it was in Denver in 2006, and have been to each one after that, and have been to RailsConf a number of times, and some other regional Ruby conferences. As you uh, also helped uh, Mike and Pat with uh, Mountain West uh, back in the the early years of that conference, and I've been to a number of conferences. So I, I really love conferences. It was in Scotland. Uh, uh, that was a lot of fun uh, earlier this year, and I think they're great. Uh, they're they do so many things for the community. If you think about how things are now, uh, we're very much an online-based community. You know, sometimes people don't even know what other people look like. If you were to run into them, you wouldn't know that's who this online personality is. Yeah. And so conferences really do that. You get all of a sudden, okay, now you have a face. Maybe you didn't already know that to the name, to the personality. Then you get to talk with them over, you know, uh, snack break or over dinner or over uh, questions after uh, uh, session or whatnot. And I think that, that's really important. I, I know a lot of people really love the hallway track, the time in between sessions at conferences. And that's uh, it's really rare, well, maybe impossible really, to get all these people together uh, short of conferences. And that's really pretty special. And I love that aspect of it. And one of the things I try to do in, and I think most all the regional Ruby conferences do this too, is that I want to create that when I put on my conference. Um, the the other thing that I really like, um, you know, touching on the other subject of user groups, uh, user groups are great. I think they're they're vital. Uh, I when I moved to Colorado, I moved to Colorado in 2005 from Kansas, and I didn't know anyone, and I uh, I really wanted to uh, do a lot of networking, and I was new to Ruby at that point. And so I started Boulder Ruby selfishly so that there would be a gathering of Rubyists that I could go hang out with. And that was uh, the motivating factor for me in doing that. And that's why I've continued to do that. I, I do love community and building it. And uh, the, the monthly user group meetings are great. Um, from that, I've seen a lot of other things develop in our local community uh, from those meetings. And and I think those benefits uh, are totally worth the extra time and work it takes to get a user group going and maintain it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, how about you, Peter? I live in the middle of absolutely nowhere, so traveling to things I find quite difficult. So I've only actually been to three um, different kind of like Ruby-focused conferences, and that's uh, Euroco 2008, which was in um, Prague, um, Ruby Falls 2008, which was in Copenhagen, and RailsConf 2009, which I think some people would say was kind of like the nadir of the RailsConfs. Um, it was kind of like one of the quieter ones, as far as I understand it. It was in Vegas, and I think a lot of people didn't want to go to Vegas and all that kind of thing. Um, but I, I definitely see the value in the user groups, perhaps more. The conferences I've always found to be a bit of a drag, quite expensive. Um, you know, it's nice to meet up with people, of course. Um, always like to bump into uh, Dr. Nick, and you know, you get these people that like go to every single conference, and you're guaranteed to bump into them, and uh, it's always fun. But this kind of this artificial atmosphere, I don't, I'm not really keen on about some of these things. You know, it costs so much money. I think I spent like four grand or something, like getting to RailsConf or something, and, like just all the different things around it, and hotels, and you know, this, that, and the other. It's just like it's just big expense, and you know, I could buy a new Mac. Like, you know, I'd rather just have that. Um, so user groups is something that I'm much more kind of bullish on, I guess, just because, you know, they tend to be local um, or you can sort of attend one if you're like on vacation somewhere, you can drop in. Um, you know, I've done that before in London. I don't live anywhere near London, but when I've been to London, I can sort of drop in on a group, um, which is good. 
Um, I'm the co-organiser of a, a group here in the county I live in, which is pretty much like the Kansas of England, very empty. Um, and, you know, I, I think like half the people that go are Rubyists in some form or another, but um, not sort of like full time. And, you know, half the people go are marketing people. And so there's no real focus on Ruby there. And we just end up kind of just talking about it afterwards. Um, and the other thing I attend is uh, Leeds Ruby thing, which is they call it Leeds Ruby thing rather than a user group because basically it involves a bunch of Rubyists in a certain area of England um, going to the pub and getting drunk and arguing about things that are almost never to do with Ruby whatsoever. Um, so it's just people that... <laughs> That's uh, awesome. yeah, kind of, yeah, it's just Ruby. I mean, this is the thing about English meetups in general is that generally there will be the pub is involved and drinking is involved. Um, it's just the English way, um, unfortunately. Um, you know, I would like to go to some of these meetups that are in um, you know places, especially in like California, places like that, where it sounds like people are actually really like geeking out on the technology a bit more. But over here, it's kind of like it's a time to like decompress and uh, not focus on the technical stuff so much, which I find a shame because I'm not a big drinker. Um, but you know, it's just how uh, the English people roll. So I'm sure uh, you've met many of us before um, who are always drinking, um, or perhaps Irish people even. Um, yeah, so that's my experience with it. Um, you know, I'm sort of slightly involved, and I do attend a few, but um, I definitely don't think I get the same experience here as I would in the US. Just literally because, like in you know Europe, the different languages and so on, we don't tend to visit each other's countries perhaps as much for these kind of events. Whereas you guys can just you know hop in the car, you can drive to a different state or whatever, it's a lot easier to move around um, and uh, kind of uh, work with people in that way. Whereas I know like two French Rubyists and that's it. And like, you know, it's just, it's wow. just kind of like that. So that's okay, Peter. I, I never liked meeting you at conferences anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, we've, we've transitioned uh, in here in the West in the Utah region, we've kind of transitioned our lunch meetups to be the, uh, the ostensible hacking lunches, but they just kind of devolve into just a bunch of, of chit chat and, you know, folks getting to know each other. Um, and I, I find it strange. I, I visited Seattle RB um, a few months ago and uh, it was kind of not chaotic, but it, it was just a group of people in a room kind of hacking and, and talking and doing stuff. Now our user group meetings are, you know, they're only successful when we have, a plan when we're able to to publish a schedule of who's speaking about what and how long type of a thing, you know. Our meetups are very type A. Yeah, they they really are. But the lunches I think have been really good for us because that just gives us a, an opportunity to and an excuse to be a lot more relaxed and get to know everybody that way. So, Mike, why do you why do you think that is? Why do you think when you don't have a schedule that they don't show up? Uh, I think people are busy, and okay. it's just a you know, cost-benefit analysis they do. I'll chime in as well. That at, at, at the risk of incurring the wrath of my, my fellow Utahns, um, Utah has no culture. Like, like, like we have no nightlife. There's, no, you, there's just no concept of you would not go downtown on Friday night just to go downtown. We, we just don't do that. We're very, sure. we're very, we live in the middle of a very sparsely populated state and we like it that way. Just keep your distance. Yeah. And so unless there's an excuse to get together, people are just like, oh, well, why would I go do that? Well, a lot, a lot of people have responsibilities and things that they have to do. And so, you know, there's always a trade-off. People are, are trading off doing something with their family to go out and to meet with a bunch of pasty white guys at night, you know? Yeah. Rural places are like that, though. In, like more to me, I see. Yeah, that's the rural lifestyle, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas right. it's not the cosmopolitan, always hanging out at the cafe kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So, so Dr. Nick's been going around giving this talk recently about how we're not very good as as a community of like building user groups that take the experts, train up the. Uh, you know, the people that aren't, the people just getting into the language and things like that, training them up and then letting them become experts and take over, like a lot of successful groups do. And his counterexample is the Toastmasters groups where they, you know, they teach you to give presentations and then and then eventually you end up uh, ideally running your own Toastmasters group, you know, sure. um, teaching yeah. others. And uh, he's been pushing us to see what more we can do in that direction so that we can make our users groups more open to people. And, and I've been trying to implement some of his ideas here 
in Oklahoma, I definitely feel like that is a problem that we've become too much of a, like we used to just get together and talk about no sequel stuff and crap like that just because it interests all of us, you know, old timers that have played with everything. And, and so I think we were very off-putting uh, to new people. And, and, and in fact, at tonight's meeting, we're going to have a, a very simple problem and we're going to pair program our way through it and and things like that so i'm trying to turn that around but um i'd be interested to hear others thoughts on that like mike made it sound kind of like the seattle rb may have a little bit of the same disease that's a that's a i was actually going to turn that around and ask you immediately james uh how how you're planning to address that uh our very last uh utah valley meetup uh, was very informal. We all got around, got together around the table. We were chit chatting, and we had a guest from out of town. And you know, forty five minutes after we were supposed to start, he says, "So, are we going to have a, a Ruby meetup?" <laughs> and we're like, "Oh, yeah, we should probably do that." And you might want to start at some point. Might want to start, yeah. So, so that's I'm gonna I'm gonna lead the the round of answers to that with uh, my suggestion, which is that you should start your meeting. Um, just ever, really. <laughs> um, and, uh, who wants to jump on this? Uh, how do you how do you mentor the new guys? How do you break up the clicks? How do you keep your meeting from becoming socially stagnant? Sure, James. I, I haven't seen Doctor Nick's his uh, session on this, so can you can you share what some of those ideas are? Some of the things that he's suggesting that we do to improve the situation like that. Doctor Nick puts his interests on it uh, somewhat and. You guys know he's he's worked hard to bring the Rails installer up recently, and he basically talks about how we, you know, for the longest time, if you went and Googled, how do I get started on Rails on Windows, that you would come to this answer that told you to do this thing, that, and he would walk you through what that experience was basically like, and it was basically a nightmare, and none of it worked, you know, anymore, because it was all old, that instant installer uh, stuff that had fallen out of favor. So he was basically saying, you know, why don't we just replace that documentation with a, a thing that says, I hate you, you know, because it's basically the same thing. Well, um, no, actually, it's not the same thing, because I hate you is a lot more honest. Right, it's more helpful. <laughs> you are <laughs> less deceptive. <laughs> So uh, anyways, he, he basically talks about things like that. So uh, to give an example that we're going to try at OKRB tonight, one of the problems we do have is that some people there are new enough that, you know, they don't have a great Ruby environment ready to go for something like this pair programming and stuff. And eventually I want to have sessions where we help people get installed and, and ready to go, uh, though I will definitely need some help for the Windows side of that. But um, one of the things we're going to do tonight, we have built an OKRB uh, EC2 instance with everything you need ready to go. So oh, if you cool. come tonight and you're, you don't really have a good environment, we can just spin up another instance for you and you can play on that. Um, so we're trying to get better about bringing those people in and, and doing more. We, we were very much a presentation group. That was our thing. But the presentations were always run by, you know, the same three or four people that, that you know, ha had done all that beginning stuff a long time ago. So we never really talked about that at all. So, like, at last week's meeting, I went up there and I purposefully prepared nothing, thinking that then I could only use stuff that was basically automatic to me because um, I'd have to talk and type at the same time and things like that. So I just went over some really basic Ruby stuff, like, I think I did command line switches in Ruby and all the cool things you can make Ruby do from the command line when you want to use it, you know, through your shell. And then I went into Rails yeah. a little bit and showed some simple association stuff. And, and that seemed very positive. And we had a big group and, and a lot of the uh, newcomers told me that was helpful. So things like that, that, that we tend to be a little off-putting to, uh, you know, certain groups. Yeah, I, I, do, I certainly think that's important to get the new guys involved and we like to ask them to present right if someone shows up they're there for a couple months we give them something that they should present on like a design pattern or something simple yeah the the other thing that we've started doing uh just recently is we've started talking about apprenticeship pattern patterns about just sim simple things uh we've got a couple of people who are new that are that are older they're like more mature they're not like they're not like just new programmers or they're they're 
uh, they're people that have you know gone partway through like marketing careers and then switched over to programming. And so they've got a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge about how to uh, mature themselves and how to how to grow themselves. And they they for them a lot of the unknowns in programming are actually known unknowns to them. They're like they're like you know it's there's this field of knowledge that I am aware of that I need to have inside my head, so how do I get it? And so a couple of them are, and it's awesome because they're actually the ones that are driving it. They're basically stepping up and saying, I want to learn how to program. How do I, how do I get more out of this? And so they're stepping up and doing apprenticeship stuff. Like uh, last month, we just one of the programmers just stepped up and said, uh, one apprenticeship pattern is sweeping the floor uh, for the master. So is there somebody here who's programming something um, that wouldn't mind me just sitting by, pairing with you, watching what you're doing, and then documenting your stuff for you. And all the senior, I mean, everybody loves somebody else to do the documentation. So that was like, everyone's like, yes, you can come work with me. And he got a huge amount of training out of that. It was, it was awesome. You've just hit on one of the reasons I think that the users groups and stuff are so important and the conferences even to a lesser extent. But I, I think, you know, programming is so much to keep in your head. And even, even if you're good and you can learn all that stuff on your own and, and things, which there are plenty of people that can, a lot of times it's like, you know, how many languages do we need to display a web page today? You know what I mean? Like, you got HTML, CSS. You, yeah, right. Exactly. Right. You may be using some, uh, well, maybe SAS, Haml, you know, you got Ruby, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff just to display a web page. And it's like, I think one of the advantages of the mentor is he can tell you things like, you know what, let's not worry about this right now. You know, because you have no idea what, you know, when you're trying to assimilate all that, at what point do you stop and learn regular expressions or whatever, you know, you need, sure. yeah. it, it helps to have somebody to kind of guide you along that path. And that's why I think uh, mentoring and apprenticeship is so important. And that's why I think the users groups are so important is, you know, you'll, you'll never get another opportunity where you can learn so much from people that can help guide you down the path quicker. You know? I absolutely agree. I know th there's a lot of people that are talking about trying to make Ruby a lot more friendly to new programmers. And not just people who are unfamiliar with Ruby, but people who are unfamiliar with programming. And that to me just seems like a, a weird thing to spend a whole lot of time on. But you know, I wish people who, who think that way and want to approach that well, and I hope it works. My approach has always been, if you want to know more, just come out to a, a user's group meeting, right? And we'll just go at your pace. We'll figure out what your needs are, and uh, and we'll just kind of address them over time. How big is your group, Mike? How many people do normally come out? Uh, well, we've got, I don't know, like five or 600 people on the mailing list. but So we've got a group down south of the Utah Valley that's about... 25 people, a group uh, up in Salt Lake, that's about another 30. I think there's another 15 or so that meet north of Salt Lake. And that's, those are the number of people that actually show up? Those are the people that show up, yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, and you, you, don't, you don't reach everybody that way, but I think that, you know, there is kind of this, this drive to try and get a one-size-fits-all, you know, training and, uh, you know, education system to help people learn. But People are all over the map, you know. You just never know yeah. where their gaps are. And it's much better to do that in person. Just come on out, meet people. You know, you'll gravitate towards people that are going to be more helpful to you and and kind of go you know, go that way. I mean, that was the thing that I really loved about the Ruby community when I first found it was this whole notion of Miniswan, right? Everyone's nice. Everyone, want, everyone wants to help you progress and wants to help you learn. And there's just no better way of doing that than in person. So another thing kind of thinking along the lines of what Mike was just saying is that, uh, for example, me, I love to teach and love to help. That's like my favorite thing to do. So I just love to go around and help people with Ruby. Unfortunately, um, you know, due to like the Dreyfus model of skill acquisition, if you've ever looked at that at all, mm -hmm. I'm actually a really bad person to teach a beginning programmer because I'm so far removed from that. It's been a long time since... I've had those horribly painful conversations with a compiler, you know, and so now I, I don't remember as much how frustrating that was, you know, and I can skip a lot of those baby steps that I didn't have to or that I needed way back when. And so 
Uh, that's another reason that users groups are important. Like Mike said, you gravitate toward the people that can help you. You need somebody, ideally, that's just one or two levels above you yeah. because they have the knowledge that you need, but they're still close enough to your situation that they're good at putting it back in, in your terms. Absolutely. 100% that's, agree. That's interesting that you, you mentioned the Dreyfus model because when I first got into uh, Ruby, I was very, very frustrated that there was so little documentation. I mean, the, the Pickaxe book had just come out, so we, we finally had some English documentation uh, available to us. And I was very, very frustrated. And the reason I was frustrated was because I was coming from the, the Microsoft, uh, you know, uh, com. It's a, I, I, everyone expects me to say .NET, but that was actually before, before then. Um, you know, like COM and and you know the that type of uh, programming model, and it's the the Win32 uh, programming model was very well documented. Everything was I didn't need to talk to anybody else. I had it all there in my my CHM files. I had it right there in my IDE. I could look anything up. I could research anything. There were examples of everything in the SDK. I had everything I needed at my fingertips to solve any problem that I thought I had in that model. And when I went to Ruby, it was a huge revelation to me to talk to other people and it, I, I don't think I think I think a lot of Rubyists miss out on the fact that it's like that Dreyfus were too many levels removed and now it's just a no-brainer let's go to let's go to UREG let's go to a meetup let's go to the hack lunch let's talk to people let's get on the mailing list get on IRC and ask people about this let's talk to people and um, I think a lot of Ruby, you know, especially new Ruby programmers, they don't get that because they're coming from you know the cloistered tower of having everything well documented, well you know having their meat you know cut and sliced for them. That in Ruby, all those problems are solved by having a really strong network of people around you. And so I just I just want to don't want to diminish that the the importance of that notion of talk to people, talk to people, talk to people, get there and get get in person. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. so so with um, the Boulder Group, um, you know, we're we're our meetings are mainly still very presentation based, um, and like Mike, I um, I've been actively going after people to get them per, to um, present. When we started, there were really maybe three or four Rubyists uh, back in 2006 that were here that would that I basically had them present most of the time. That was Chad Fowler, Bruce Williams, Ira Howard, and uh, Jeremy Heingartner. And these four probably made up you know, 90, 80% of our talks the first year. But then as we started to go along, I, you know, they, you know, they didn't want to speak every other month or whatnot, and so I started getting other people to do that. And now today, you know, I'm finding people that, I, that, that haven't presented ever before and, and – you know, I, I challenge them on doing a talk on whatever, and and they do. And I try to vary the topic so that it's interest interesting to all levels of people that are here. And uh, we just did uh, sort of an introduction to Sinatra uh, just last meeting, and that was really popular. We actually had over fifty people attend, which uh, are about we maybe can't handle much more than that in our space. And it was it was crazy. Um, one of the other things we do with our with our meeting format that uh, that I do is the first thirty or so minutes um, um, is all networking. We have food and we have beer and um, and people just hang out. They can kind of come in late. They can be fifteen or twenty minutes late. Not a big deal. And people really connect and talk to each other then. And then I sort of take a temperature of the room and then kick off the meeting. We have a big cowbell that we that we uh, we beat on when it's time to start. And I have a That's fairly cool. Fairly loud voice, so even with you know fifty people, uh, you know, talking loudly and enjoying themselves, I can get their attention, especially with the cowbell, of course. <laughs> um, and then we start off, and then and it works. And Boulder, for those of you who know Boulder, Boulder is a very the downtown. We're in the downtown area, and it's everything's within you know five or six blocks of that. There's lots of places to go, and so it's very social, very fun to hang out there. And so it's not uncommon for people after the meeting to go out and then go to either a pub or wherever and just hang out. Um, there's a couple of things I'd mentioned that we're doing to sort of outreach a bit more um, and, and break just the sort of the presentation model because sometimes I wonder if that's too much of the sit down, let us throw information at you, and maybe you won't do anything with it. And I kind of worry about that. Um, for a few years now, we've been doing this 
Wednesday morning code and coffee thing. It's very, very informal. People show up. It now meets at uh, the Dojo 4, which is um, Ara Howard's um, Ruby Consultancy. It's uh, right off uh, Pearl Street. And uh, that's a lot of fun. People can show up and they can, uh, if they have problems or they want to show off something cool they've done to the other six or eight people that are there, they can do that. And it's, and it's, and it's nice. Um, we've also did our first code retreat uh, a couple months ago. Uh, Corey Haynes actually came in and Chad Fowler, both of them sort of tag teamed it. And we had, I think we had over 60 people at it. And it wasn't Ruby specific though. So it, it was multi-language. And that was really cool. A lot of people really dug that. And that was great because some of them were pair programming for the first time. I actually found that half of my sessions that I was doing there was introducing the concept of test-driven development and pairing and Ruby. So I'm like, wow, I'm teaching all three of these to somebody. We're not going to get very far in the game of life you know, in this session, but it was so useful to them. They were really happy to see that. And some of them did some crazy stuff. Like I think Dave Thomas and Jeremy Heingardner did the game of life using image magic, which is absolutely nuts. But um, uh, it's just cool to kind of uh, do that sort of thing. And we're going to continue to do Hackfest, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe two or three times a year. And the, the last thing I'll mention is um, we also did a bug mash, uh, Rails bug mash, um, I think it was last month that the guys, and actually it's nice because I didn't organize it. Because one of the things that I really worry about is I don't want to be the guy putting everything together and sort of dominating the community. I like it when other people step up and say, I want, I think Boulder should have this event or this meeting and have them own that. And I'm happy to give the support and get people out to it. And so the bug mash was uh, this sort of event that I totally did nothing with it at all. And they, uh, some of our members uh, put together and they, they squashed a bunch of bugs. People who didn't really know what they're doing were just trying to help fix a Rails bug. And, and they learned quite a bit. So um, that's some of the things we're, we're doing out in Boulder. Those are some awesome ideas. Um, interestingly, we did an intro to Sinatra. It was a while back now. Uh, but when we did, it was also one of our most popular meetings ever. So, uh, and, and then when Marty mentioned that, it brought that back to my mind. So if you ever want to slam dunk uh, for your local <laughs> Ruby users group, uh, intro to Sinatra seems to be just like a total win. So that's interesting. Um, Another thing we could probably talk about, uh, there's been kind of a controversy going around recently because is it PyConf that's charging? Oh, uh, <laughs> evil people. Charging their um, speakers to attend. They, basically, their yeah. policy is uh, everybody pays the same thing. So if you're a speaker at that conference, you pay that normal um, price registration. to yeah. right, registration to attend. And everybody pays exactly the same. So let's go around the horn and get everybody's thoughts on that one. I'll, I'll start really quick. Maybe I should mention something and then let you guys go around. So um, I'm fairly passionate about this, and I wrote a blog post, and I think I posted it Monday. I actually wrote it over the weekend and just never got around time to actually posting it. So I finally posted it, and uh, it's over on my blog, martyhot.com. It's the last post. I don't post very often, actually. I'm so busy. But I, I, I felt compelled to post this, and sort of the underpinnings of why I think um, – and, I, of course, I come down the side that speakers, of course, and, and volunteers and organizers should not pay a ticket, should not pay to attend. <laughs> That's ludicrous. So, so I, but, but, you know, it, to me, is like I can't believe we were having this conversation kind of, you know, looking at it that way. And so I thought, well, I guess I should spell it out. And so I did. And actually, a couple of Python guys jumped on my blog and, and add some comments. And so some of the comments are very interesting. And I actually, I think I may have wrote more in the comments than I wrote in the original blog, blog post replying to these guys. And I actually have another round to put out there. So I thought I'd mention that first. And, and I have some more comments on this, but I, I want to let everyone else go next. Uh, For me, it depends if someone's making money out of it. Like if it's really a community thing and it's being like put together, like on the hoof as it were, then fine. But, you know, if it's O'Reilly and they're running like a major conference and they're making serious money from it, because they do make serious money from these events, then people shouldn't be paying to attend if they're helping those guys make money. That's just I, I just look at it from the monetary side of the you know point of view there. If it's a community thing, different story. Even in the community things there, like I mean, I run a pretty small conference here in Oklahoma City, and I can tell you that uh, in order to pay me back for the time I put in and stuff. 
it, I would have to make a freaking lot of money. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm never going to make anywhere near that. And, th and this is another thing that I think is specific to the Ruby community is, I, oh boy, I, I'm, I'm almost afraid to come out and take this position. But we are, we are really, really dismissive and abusive to speakers in the Ruby community. People don't seem to understand that when you, when you say, hey, I'll present at a conference, that you then spend the next six weeks of your life freaking out about your talk, about how you're going to do it, putting it off, then losing sleep because you're not prepared. Then you go to the conference and it turns out that you're speaking on the afternoon of the last day. So you don't enjoy the conference at all because you spend the entire conference preparing your talk. So basically, you showed up at this conference and spent the entire time working and struggling until you actually get through your talk and get it and done. And, and then you can finally enjoy what's left of the conference. Um, I don't see the point of having the presenters pay to get in. I, I think that's asinine. Um, I, I, I just, I'm almost offended by that, that comment. It, it absolutely shows no appreciation of the person who is standing up, uh, choking down his stage fright to get in front of two or 300 people and actually put something up on the screen that a bunch of people are going to get on IRC and, and snicker about. And it takes a tremendous amount of courage, in, especially in our community, to, to stand up and present. And I see absolutely no reason not to reward uh, presenters for uh, their presentation by at least giving them, you know, <laughs> you can come here for free. So You know, and with Mountain West and Ruby Web Conference, we, don't, we certainly don't charge our speakers. And running a conference is very difficult because uh, especially the smaller regional conferences because there's just not a ton of money there and when you want to do stuff like record it and put it out online and everything those expenses really add up and food oh and, and food, food. Yeah, yeah well if you're doing food that's that's a tremendous expense but even though there's no money you can almost always find the money to to let the speakers in for free and with Mount West, we don't make a lot of money at all. And, you know, the, our tickets are only $100. Um, so we're, I mean, you know, James says that he has a small conference. And I'm thinking, you know, mine is minuscule then. But, uh, you know, we even go, we try as hard as we can to even pay an honorarium uh, or to give an honorarium to the speakers who who do show up. Because the, the for me, the quality of the conference uh, is determined by the quality of the speakers because those speakers are bringing in the people that want to learn from them and they're uh, that's where the touch points are for all the conversations and you know you, your conference just can't succeed without having really really great speakers um, and so I think the Ruby community there's no one in the Ruby community who does not appreciate speakers um, I don't I don't understand where the Pi conference you know uh, where they're coming from but Obviously, it makes an economical sense for them, and they've made the decision, and it seems to be okay. I don't feel like casting stones at what they're doing, but everybody I know in the Ruby community who's involved with you know regional conferences, and even you know uh, Chad and Dave and the, all the guys at Ruby Central that do uh, both Ruby Conference and Rails Conference, uh, none of them have that perspective. So um, you know, it, it just seems like it is what it is, and I don't I don't understand. Uh, why a lot of people were so angry about this one conference in the Python community deciding to to make a different decision. Wait, so this was the Python community, not the Ruby community? Correct. Oh, yeah. Ruby community, I apologize. I, I take back what I said about you. <laughs> no, it's the Python community. It's a Python conference that is charging speakers. And it was, I believe it was a Django uh, European conference specifically. But, but interestingly enough, um, it, it seems to be a philosophical difference in the Python conferences, as far as I can tell from what I've learned. Um, PyCon actually has, uh, and I, I linked to it in my, uh, they made a post about their policy explaining it. The thing is, what's fascinating about their approach is they don't, it's like they see this as some sort of social equalization. Like the speakers are the ones who are making the most money. They have made it. And so it is sort of their social obligation to pay just like everyone else and show up and sort of give back. It's like it's all about giving back. And so they, they have this extra burden that they think is appropriate. And I'm not saying it's not. And I, and I definitely agree that there are Boy, running a conference, that's a personal thing. Every conference is a little bit different. And, you know, 
it's fine for everyone to have a different take on that. You know, I know how I want to run my conferences, and I think most of us do, and we all have very similar conferences because of that. But, but what's what's interesting is they also had this in some of their arguments with me, they were arguing about like, well, there's no financial need for the speakers to get this money back to, to attend for free. So, so what we do is we take their registration money and we create a financial aid program. And, and not just that, they, they make, they make a, a fairly hefty chunk of their budget for financial aid so that those of lesser means can attend the conference. And, so I, I think that it's not some well maybe some of them are where they they just can't manage their budget well or whatever and they just don't they just want to charge everyone and make it simple but I, some of them are making a very conscious decision that they socially think this is important uh, sort of like uh, open source software uh, where you know it's all free and you know, anyway I don't know that that's kind of what I've got from it but I don't agree with that in that I think boy speakers are doing so much work. I mean, I, I've spoken at several conferences, and the amount of work I've put in is just crazy. The amount of money I've lost to not billing all my time is, is crazy, but I do it anyway. I don't care, and you know, I appreciate that at least I don't have to buy a ticket, whip out my credit card, fill out the registration thing, and submit. It's like, yeah. man, I'm, already, I'm working for you. I'm making your conference better. I hope I am. I, I guess I could see it if the, if the conference already had a, a feeling to it that the speakers were all celebrities, where most like regional conferences, 80% of the speakers are like locals or some, some guy from a, a, a user's group. You, know, it's, it's, you don't have DHH keynote at every regional conference. I mean, yeah. you, you, know, you get one guy from Rails and one guy from Ruby that's you know, really big. And, and if, you're, if you look out and you get mats at your conference, then that's freaking awesome. But it's not not a total celebrity fest. So, so I'm looking at the clock, and we're about 45 minutes in, and I want to get to the picks. But Mike asked a question in the back channel uh, that I think is more important. So I'm going to shorten the time for our picks, if that's all right. Mike asked, what makes a good conference, specifically as an organizer? How do you choose your presenters? How do you decide on single versus multi-track conference? How do you decide on venue? That that sort of thing. Um, I think that's a really valid question, and I think it's uh, I think a lot of people would be really interesting to see kind of the soft underbelly of conference organization. Does anybody want to jump on that? Absolutely, I do. Okay. Um, so my thing with the uh, Red Dirt conference, which I think I'm going to surprise Mike here, since uh, he seems to think Red Dirt is uh, bigger than Mountain West. I think Mountain West is actually about twice the size of Red Dirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a pretty small conference. Um, but how many how many people came to Red Dirt this year? Uh, a little over a hundred. Oh, okay. So yeah, I think it's about I think it's about yeah. half the size of Mountain. About West. half, yeah. We had what 250 at Mountain West this year, Mike. Yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah. And Mountain West is a great conference that absolutely everybody needs to go to. It's uh, actually I stole a bunch of ideas from for Red Dirt from Mountain West, so everybody. I'm stealing to. ideas from you. Uh, what that does it? <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> So uh, my thing with conferences uh, and what makes a good conference is just try something new. That is my only request. Like, I feel like conferences have stagnated just really bad, and they haven't been, like, trying new things and stuff like that. So when we sat down to build Red Dirt, I just brainstormed a bunch of random ideas. I didn't even care if they were good ideas. I was like, well, we'll be different, you know? And um, some of them worked the first year really, really well. Uh, for example, um, we did uh, we did the panels. So we we basically pre-chose topics, and then people submitted within those topics. And then we you know we let each of them speak. And then I ran a Q and A panel with them at the end, and we had everybody send questions to me, um, and I turned those questions around on the whole panel, and. I would purposefully try to tilt them to things that would start discussion among the speakers and stuff like that. And everybody said that that was just so cool because, um, you know, it, some people said it was great because um, you didn't have to be as brave to ask a question to a speaker that you're intimidated by, you know, because all you had to do is post it in IRC and James would ask it for you. Uh, so it kind of lowered the barrier to entry. But at the same time, we were able to weed out all of the questions that really just needed to be Googled and have a link response because we just handled that in IRC and the question was never asked to the speakers, you know. 
and things like that. And plus, when you can get the speakers cross-talking, then you get multiple perspectives on the topic, you know. So uh, it turned out to be really interesting and stuff. And I'll, I'll admit that some of the things I tried weren't as successful, and, and I changed them up the second year a bit and uh, things like that. But uh, so my request for what it takes to make a good conference is um, uh, just, you know, the guts to try something different. And I think everybody should do that. Cool. Um, what about you, Mike? Basically, with Mountain West, I've been chasing the sensation I had at Ruby Conference in 2005 in San Diego. And I had found Ruby about, oh, I don't know, nine months before then. And I kind of went to San Diego on a lark because it sounded like a good vacation. But I went there and it just melted my brain. You know, I just came back from the conference every single day, com just completely tired. Um, and it was, I think, the last Ruby, Ruby conference that was fully single track. And so to me, any conference that melts my brain just makes me physically tired. Um, and then you have kind of that cohesive uh, experience across all the speakers. That to me is just a great experience and one that, like I said, I've just been chasing for years now. So, gosh, this, this, this is like, you know, your favorite flavor of ice cream kind of question. Um, I, I agree with James. I really like pushing the envelope. We certainly did a lot of things um, that were unique at Mountain RB last year, now Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain Ruby. Um, the, personally, I think unless your size uh, gets over a certain point, I think single track is the way to go. Um, I agree with Mike totally on that. It, you know, the unified experience is great. I'm really a big proponent of the social interaction and uh, encouraging that. Last year, we did a card game uh, that encouraged people to trade. It was a uh, we had a, well, first of all, we had a theme, uh, pioneering in Ruby, and so we had a pioneer card game that you could, you know, you were some type like a trapper or a cowboy or a, um, a homesteader or something, and you would trade cards with other attendees and try to build the deck that was good for your type, and uh, that was was pretty successful. Some people didn't care for it, and that always happens, but a lot of people really did, and, and there were some interesting things that came from that, a lot of interaction, and I really like encouraging that. Um, I also try to facilitate um, a calendar or a schedule of the conference so that there's plenty of things going on. It's not like at a certain point things is, you know, like, oh, there's nothing going on, so I guess I'll just go home or something. I, I want to make a very full experience, you know, uh, mixing the social, the technical, and, um, and also getting outdoors a little bit. We do a little bit more outdoor stuff um, because we're just a few minutes from the mountains here in Boulder. And I, I think putting that all together, and for me, it's really important to also have a cohesive experience and decide what that's going to be. What is your theme? What is your, what are you trying to put together when you, when you're organizing a conference? What's your goal? And, and once you have that figured out, then it allows you to sort of you know, decide, okay, I'm going to put this event here. Or I'm going to do this hack fest there. I'm going to have this uh, social thing here, this party there. And, and it just makes it so that you know if you're, you are or not on target with what you're trying to achieve. I don't organize, but I think Marty just like hit all the nails on the head of things that I was going to mention about the single track and stuff like that. I mean, I heard so much good stuff about Nordic Ruby, um, which is um, sort of held in Scandinavia, and it's a single track conference, but it's still a reasonable size, and people seem to absolutely love that. And I think they had the same with Ruby Fringe in um, Canada a few years ago. People just seemed to love it, and just because they could all talk about the same talk, you know, everyone had been. Um, so that was really good. I think just one thing I would mention to people who are organizing conferences. Unless you're like, if you're trying to aim like for an international audience or people coming from like all over the country uh, to attend, um, some sometimes some of these kind of events they're trying to like broadcast them out to a wider audience, but the actual event perhaps isn't substantial enough to warrant you know like crossing the country or even crossing oceans, continents, whatever. Um, you know, if it's literally just like a single day, something like that, that might not be enough just to go. Um, so if you do really want to make it like a bigger, a bigger deal, you know, want international people coming, perhaps there needs to be a little bit more sort of spanning at least a couple of days, uh, you know, sort of make it worth the trip, as it were, or at least have other events that are going on in town at the same time that perhaps attendees would want to, you know, attend. You could even get together with other events, you know, like if there was a, you know, an Apache conference or a Linux conference or something, um, you know, it would be nicer to have a bigger thing to go to than just one t one small event. You know, it actually amazes me that that out here in Utah, we've got uh, you know the the state motto is "Greatest Snow on Earth," 
and there aren't any Ruby conferences organized in the wintertime. Uh, we did actually do last year, Ruby WebConf was up at Snowbird. We were up at one of the ski resorts, but we were in the off-season. We were up there. I mean, it's beautiful scenery, but there was no skiing going on. I thought that was kind of interesting. It did snow, though. It did snow. That's in September. true. It was, that was some freakish weather. I'm going to weigh in as just the, the, the lone voice of dissent, and I will say that one of the best conferences that I've ever been to Okay, for, so hands down, the best conference for me for my money is Mountain West because I live here, and so I don't have to buy a plane ticket. I don't have to get a hotel room. Uh, actually, last year I discovered that you do actually need to get a hotel room because the, <laughs> the, it, it just a thirty-minute drive at the end of having your brain just just melted out through your nostrils is um, just if you've got a hotel that you can just walk two minutes to and crash. It just makes us so so much better. Um, but one of the best away conferences I've ever been to was Lone Star. And I love dual track conferences because if you get a session that you just don't care about, you have one alternative. You know, it's like you can pick the best of the two. And because there's only two things and the, the organizers were pretty careful to, to, to put, you know, you don't put, they, they put rails training against MERB training or, or, or yeah, or yeah, MERB. So that there wasn't too many, there weren't too many people who wanted to go to both. You know, they did a really good job of avoiding that that problem where you really had a conflict, you know, just like a like a, a conflict of scheduling. RailsConf, the year that I went, which two thousand seven, I think, uh, RailsConf was you know five or six tracks, and I had a conflict on every single session. Like I wanted to be in one of two. In fact, I actually uh, session hopped. I'd go to a session, I'd get twenty minutes into it and go, this kind of sucks, and so I'd leave and I'd go hang out. I'd get, go to the other session, and a lot of people were doing that, and there was just no sense of community, no sense of, you know, where were you at when this happened kind of thing, where Lone Star still managed to preserve most of that, um, but I, I, still, I still have to confess that a single-track conference where everybody's in the same room has a much tighter, you know, there's only one back channel that makes any sense for, for people to be in, you know, you don't get people talking about something that is not in your room, so... You know, one thing I wanted to mention uh, on what Peter was saying is that, and and we kind of made this decision with with um, with Mountain RB is that we were mainly for locals. I mean, we want it to be a destination conference, and that if you come here, you're going to have a great time. But we don't really expect a lot of people from out of the state to come. And and we had 75 percent people that attended were from the Front Range, from the the main uh, Denver metro area. And that was it. And, you know, I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. That's our, our guiding uh, principle that we're mainly for the locals to experience Ruby and have cool people come here. So we still have good speakers, but, uh, but, you know, we don't expect like RubyConf or RailsConf where, you know, most of the Ruby community is trying to make it out for that. I think that's a, a terrific point that Marty made, makes. And that's one of the things that, uh, you know, we've, as you've seen all of these regional conferences pop up, it's getting really, really difficult to not have conflicts anymore. And in fact, Ruby Conference moved their November date that they've been in for the last few years to the end of September. And that caused all sorts of different problems and this huge ripple effect where a lot of regional conferences got stomped on by Ruby Conference. And now they're trying to react. And now we've got, I think, the weekend of Ruby Web Conference there's four conferences happening on that weekend, you know? Wow. But I agree. It's, it's definitely maybe even reaching almost problematic levels of like saturation. Like Marty said, it's not a problem because you, you go to the one in your region. You don't need to go to every single Ruby conference, you know? And there's enough talent out there. There's enough really great speakers that you're going to find people that are going to be able to speak at your conference. And so I've, uh, I've kind of changed my mind over the last few years it doesn't bother me as much. You know, I, I want to be respectful. I don't want to stomp on someone's established date, but uh, if someone stomps on my date, I'm not nearly as upset about it as I, as I used to be. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, Mike, when we were originally doing mountain West, I, I thought, you know, after we got going, they started, all the regionals started to pop up and my concern was speaker drain. There wouldn't be enough people to submit talks and, and that would become a problem. I don't think it really has. Although, I do see this where it seems like the same 10 speakers are almost at every conference kind of thing, or it's almost like you can guess half of the lineup because they're at almost all the conferences. And I do want to kind of change that up a bit. I do want to see a little bit of change. But at the same time, I'm like, hey, if 
most of the people that are seeing this are just from Colorado and they don't travel. These guys don't leave at all. They don't go to any of these conferences other than maybe watching a video online. They would never see these people anyway. So I'm like, well, maybe it's not a big deal. Yeah, that's exactly how I've come down to it. It's just not as big of a deal as, as I thought it would be. And then when we're choosing um, the sessions that we're going to accept, because we only get to accept one out, one out of every three or one out of every four proposals that we're given, um, we do try to give deference to folks that are in the region and to, uh, to proposals that have not been given before or at the very minimum have not been recorded before. Because it is, you know, it, when you've watched something three or four times, you know, by the time you actually see it at a conference, it doesn't quite have as big of an impact on you. Um, but yeah, you know, we're turning down at least 60% of the proposals we're getting. So I don't really, I, I just haven't seen the effects of that drain. But I do, I do uh, agree with you that, you know, people make the speaking circuit and sometimes that's really, really good and sometimes it's not as effective. I absolutely agree about the um, reuse talks. If I can point to it on conference, then it's an instant kill for me. I won't even ex you know, uh, consider the speech because if it's on conference, then people saw it and you know it's there and that's good. And I, I like to see the original stuff, the new stuff. That's a really interesting point, James, because I, I certainly am uh, aware of people that are trying to build their brand by speaking at conferences. And when I say I'm aware of this, it's because I'm trying to emulate this. I'm trying to get get out, get proposed to a bunch of conferences, trying to get myself out there, trying to get people to recognize who David Brady is because he's just this bald guy from Utah. And, and wait, uh, wait, who are we talking about? Uh, some guy. Anyway. Um, so, Why are we always talking about David Brady? Jeez. Then it's working. It's working. <laughs> But uh, you know, I, I I hate the the repeat talk thing, and so I'm submitted out to about three conferences right now. But I've got four different talks that I'm that I'm proposing, and so you know, I just I definitely I may I may manage to get out to three or four conferences this year, and I, I would really like that. But I will not end the year being known as the guy who talks about X because I'm not going to repeat over and over again. I think that's really important. Yeah, I think that's a great general rule. There are a couple of exceptions. Glenn Vanderberg's real software yeah. engineering yeah. should be given at every single conference. That's a good that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. If you're DHH, go ahead and talk about Rails. That's cool. You can do that every time. <laughs> good point. Yeah. So we are coming up right on the one hour mark. Uh, James, let's start with you. What's your pick for the week? Okay. So since we've been talking about conferences, I'm going to plug the Ruby Vare site. So it's rubyvare.com, T-H-E-R-E. -E, and it's a great site for looking at what conferences are around. You've got an attend tab and a speak tab. So if you want to look at cool things to attend that are coming up, you can do that in the attend tab. Um, yeah. Lone Star RubyConf that we've mentioned is in there. Um, if you want to uh, speak at conferences, which I highly, highly recommend, because we've uh, been talking about um, all of uh, you know original content is what the conferences need more than anything. Uh, and here's my dirty little secret: when I propose a, um, a talk for a conference, it's usually something I know uh, quite a, not very much about at all. I tend to propose talks that I want to learn about instead of talks that I already know about. Yep. And then that forces me to sit down and learn enough to be able to talk about them at the conference and stuff like that. It's a great learning experience and it works out well. So I recommend people try that. But some awesome conferences you could propose to speak at right now are Rocky Mountain Ruby, which you may know a little bit about. <laughs> um, Ruby Web Conference is coming up. Uh, the Big Ruby Conf, which we've discussed a little bit. Um, also, I just proposed for Ruby Midwest, which is going to be in Kansas City this November. So um, hopefully they'll take my talk and you can propose a talk there and come out and see us there. Cool. Let's see, Peter, you're a regular. What's your pick for the week? 
Yeah, super duper quick. It's the patches, um, all the speed ups on uh, Ruby 1.9. First started off by uh, Xavier Shea about a week ago, two weeks ago, mm. um, something like that. But then, uh, yeah, old uh, Ruby Core swiftly came in, did a bit of a ninja patch to Ruby Head. And uh, then a chap, Todd Fisher, put together um, the patch from Ruby Head, brought it into Ruby 1.9.2, P180, and I've written a post on Ruby Inside all about how to get that running. And uh, DHH gave it a go, um, kind of out of the blue on Twitter, and he said he sped up his boot time of his one of his Rails apps by, I think, 42% or something along wow. those kind of lines. So um, I didn't get that good. I, I got, like, between 15 and 25%, but he's obviously dealing with pretty bigger apps than I am, so... Um, well, actually, undoubtedly. So, uh, yeah, a really cool patch, and you can use it right now, make your specs run faster, all that kind of stuff. That is that is really, really exciting to me because I got asked uh, last week or two weeks ago, um, so how much slower is Ruby over PHP? And, of course, we haven't, <laughs> you know, we did those benchmarks two or three years ago, and Ruby was about 50% slower than PHP. So, you know, we've all just kind of malingered on the fact that, oh, well, Ruby just scales horizontally better and all that stuff. and. I, I realized that you know I haven't actually checked these benchmarks, and nobody's talking about these benchmarks anymore. The PHP guys have stopped talking about these benchmarks, and that's because they're basically neck and neck. Ruby uh, MRI 1.8 is still about 10% slower, um, but Ruby 1.9 is uh, significantly faster than PHP. And uh, yeah, the idea of patches speeding things up another tw- you know 25 to 42 percent then. That's very exciting to me. And it's very easy with RVM, so ah, very right cool. now. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, my patch, uh, or my pick of the week, very, very quickly, is Faro, um, P-H-A-R-O, which is a dialect of small talk. And all I'm going to say about that is I have been reading Object Thinking by David West and learning how to do eastward-facing software, uh, a la James Ladd. And uh, I figured, you know, if you're going to drink the Kool-Aid, you might as well drop the cyanide tablet into it. And so I have been <laughs> uh, studying uh, small talk because this is this is the language that people say is all about super, super, super object orientation. Um, I am absolutely fascinated by this language because I have been studying it now for about eight hours solidly. And I <laughs> still cannot write fizzbuzz in it. Just a simple, trivial, you know, mm. loop and print kind of application. This language is a coy little minx and I will figure it out. <laughs> it's so oh. sexy. And uh, so that's my pick. You can get Faro at farocasts.com P-H-A-R-O-C-A-S-T-S dot com and you can read about it at farobyexample.com um, So, alright, so guests, you've had a few minutes to think about your picks for the week. Uh, Mike Moore, uh, what's your pick? All right, so uh, my pick is a little library uh, that I don't think a lot of people know about. It went into Release Candidate 3 this week, and it's called Rails. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard of it. So you should check that out. How does that compare with Sinatra, exactly? You know, it's, it's bigger. It, it's a little bigger than Sinatra, um, yeah. but, you know, you might have a little bit easier time scaling it if your app really hits and gets popular. Uh, the other pick I have is a really great little uh, library called Highline that uh, is useful for building command line applications and it just uh, it helps automate the uh, input taking from a command line app and uh, it was written by James Edward Gray so James, yeah. some weird guy yeah <laughs> some weird guy it, the code is suspect but you know it's it's, it's alright <laughs> and uh, Marty what's your pick for us alright well um, I've got two picks uh, and I don't know what picks have been covered before so one one right. in the conference space um, lanyard.com is a really cool it's 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 sort of like Ruby there, not exactly. Ruby there is actually cooler, but Lanyard is more widely um, uh, covering, I guess, is the best way to describe it. It is uh, lanyard.com without the second A. So uh, L-A-N-Y-R-D.com. And it's, got, it, it's really cool because you can see a lot of other conferences and a lot of other events that you normally wouldn't see because it's, it's, it's everything. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um, and if you're a conference organizer and you're not on lanyard.com, you should you should take care of that. Uh, the other one would be Padrino RB. Uh, I think this is really interesting. I've only started to play with it. It's sort of Sinatra Plus, so it's somewhere between Rails and Sinatra. So um, if you want a little bit more uh, helpers and sugar and goodness than what Sinatra gives you, then you can go with you can try it out. And that's that's sort of had my attention for the last couple of weeks. And that's uh, PadrinoRB.com. That's awesome. Every time I see Lanyard, I think Leonard Skinner. Yeah. So it makes me want to say Lanyard. <laughs> yeah. We're on Lanyard.com. Yeah. So, 
Okay, well, cool. Those are our picks. Uh, we are we have been your Ruby Rogues for this week. Uh, Mike Moore and Marty Hot have been our guests. Maybe we'll have you back because you guys were awesome. Absolutely. Um, thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Peter, Peter Cooper and James Edward Gray have, and myself, David Brady, have been your regulars. And uh, we hope to be back again as well. And good night, Moon. That's it. We fall, but then we rise. We are So is that better now? It is yeah, much. much better. Okay, much better. So uh, my office is next to the furnace, and so it was running, and I was probably I'm just picking up a lot of uh, a lot of vibration with this mic. So wow. is it cold? No, it's it's getting hot. Oh, so it's it. it. Oh yeah, baby. It, 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 is it getting mic the- hot? <laughs> mic hot. Marty hot. <laughs> Marty, you missed an opportunity there. That was my, yeah. my one chance. No, you blew it. Totally blew it. That's <laughs> 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 <laughs>